0: This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Clyde Snow and Sessions, based in Salt Lake City with offices in Oregon and California. For over 65 years, Clyde Snow has represented clients throughout the West. Clyde Snow, serious about solutions.
1: Hello, and welcome to Ripple Effect podcast, Putting Water into Context. I'm Emily Lewis, your host, and I'm a water attorney here in Salt Lake City, Utah, practicing creative solutions to today's and tomorrow's water problems. Welcome to the conversation. Hello, and welcome to the 24th episode of Ripple Effect. Um, I'm very excited for our today's episode because today's episode is an extremely pertinent and timely discussion. As you may know, we do have an election coming, and as part of that, if you are a voter in the state of Utah, you will be asked to vote yes or no on Constitutional Amendment D. And lucky for you, our office has been pretty involved in that process, and so this is also an extra special episode because this is the first time I will have interviewed my good friend, mentor, and colleague, Steve Clyde. And I'm kind of excited to dig into a little bit about why this amendment is needed, its history, its background, and kind of just to make sure that everyone feels just a little bit more informed when they go to the polls or mail in their ballot here um, in a couple weeks. So with that, um, Steve, before we move into our substantive discussion, for the few readers and listeners who you know don't know who you are, could you just kind of give a little brief introduction about who you are and kind of what your practice is about, and then we'll talk about the Constitution.
0: Uh, sure. Thanks, Emily, and uh, hi, everybody. I've been kicking around the bar now for 45 years and have practiced water law for all of those 45 years. and do a variety of other things, but that's certainly been the principal focus of my practice in addition to... Doing that, I have been on the Utah Water Task Force for about 15 years in its various iterations, which is a advisory group that was convened by the Department of Natural Resources to help look at uh, modernization of Utah's water laws. And over the course of all these years, I think we've been successful in uh, running about 80 separate bills through the legislature dealing with various aspects of modernizing Utah's water law. And it's been fun to be involved in those policy considerations. I also serve as a lay member of the uh, Legislative Water Development Commission, which is kind of a similar body uh, comprised of legislators as well as lay individuals who are expert in water law and water policy to uh, kind of help the legislature at that end as well. Those two organizations complement each other quite well. And my involvement in the things we want to talk about today came through the Water Task Force uh, in response to some legislative initiatives that uh, kind of took off on the wrong track. And as we got through them, I think it ended up successfully addressing the issues that the legislators had in mind. We can um, maybe move into the dialogue from there.
1: No, I think that's great. I think it's really helpful for those people who are not familiar with Utah, because we do have a fair number of our listeners who are kind of outside the state to, I talk a lot about collaboration on this podcast and those two bodies that you just discussed, I think are just, you know, really helpful to underscore the listeners that like collaboration and stakeholder involvement is a key component of Utah policymaking for the, in the water field. And so it's kind of fun to see that all come to fruition. So
0: It Um, really is. I think the, the Water Task Force, the reason it has been so successful is because it is such a collaborative body. It's not only the 20 some odd members of the task force that represent a lot of water service providers, ag industry and water law expertise, but we have an audience at every meeting of over 100 people and all of them are intimately involved in the conversations. And then as we get into drafting legislation, we pull committees together comprised of audience members and task force members, and really try and bring a very broad consensus oriented group together in drafting of these pieces of legislation. And it's been a very, very successful endeavor. And as a result, it's uh, gotten a lot of credibility at the legislature. People now tend to listen to this group and buy into the expertise they have to offer.
1: Yeah, I w- I would consider it some expert coordination of cats, <laughs> <laughs> but smart cats, all the smart cats on the street. <laughs> um, cool. Well, that that that's some good context for you know talking about some of the you know how the amendments we're going to talk about today came to be. Um, but before we get there, though, Steve, would you mind um, talking just a little bit about the current status of the Utah Constitution and particularly Article Eleven, Section Six that addresses some kind of key water issues that have framed water policy and management for many years now, and are kind of now in a new contemporary era, are requiring a little bit of a second look.
0: Sure, Uh, prior to statehood, which occurred in 1896, the city of Ogden had its own municipal water system. It entered into an agreement and basically sold its water system and water rights to private enterprise that came in and attempted to grow the system. Ran into a degree of financial trouble, a variety of things occurred over the years. And as a result, when the Constitutional Convention convened, there was a very, very strong position taken that uh, we should not allow our municipalities to ever part with their water rights or waterworks or their sources of water supply but they needed to preserve those for the benefit of their inhabitants. And article 11, section six of the original 1896 constitution contains that provision and is a very, very strong prohibition on cities speculating on their water and maybe chasing a dollar in lieu of protecting the long-term growth and health of their communities by allowing the water to be sold. That provision stayed in the law uh, and is still there today Uh, and that has led to a little bit of the problem we're facing today and that we have areas where municipalities have expanded retail water service beyond their corporate boundaries and while they're actually subject to termination because they violate the constitutional prohibition if they are viewed as permanent or perpetual contracts of water people have developed (coughs) subdivisions and cities and economies based on the water service they're receiving from over 50 cities in the state that have extended their water service beyond their boundaries. And it would create total economic chaos if people really believed that these were temporary contracts that could be terminated. The security, their investments, their homes and everything else would be in jeopardy. And that's really what led to the dialogue that we'll get into here starting in 2018.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great, so, you know, just as a quick recap, basically, you have a a city in the center of the valley, it's growing faster than, you know, some of the other areas of the valley, and so as the city, you know, as the city is the sophisticated player in in the space, kind of begins to stretch out, it gives water service to kind of unincorporated areas, and then basically those areas incorporate on top of the city pretty much, right, so you have this kind of like tentacle of water service that is outside the city municipal boundary, but is providing water to basically non-citizens of that municipality. And so it brings up this rub of kind of how do those citizens stand, you know? so you know, the, If the constitution says inhabitants, you know, what does that mean for a, a non-citizen who receives service from a municipality that they don't vote in? And,
0: and that so- That's really the issue in Salt Lake yeah. Valley is probably the poster child for this situation. And that uh, as the valley developed outside the corporate boundaries of Salt Lake City, Uh, there was no service provider. Uh, Counties do not provide water service. There were no water districts in the county providing retail water service, particularly to the east side of the Salt Lake Valley. And Salt Lake City stepped into the void, actually built the infrastructure has provided retail water service as part of its retail system to about 300,000 customers that are outside the corporate boundaries of the city. But technically, all of those people are on terminable water contracts Mm -hmm. and um, it's a situation that really is untenable and needed to be addressed. And and that's what's led to the current discussion.
1: Yeah, great. That's a great segue into kind of where we are today. So so just so for the listeners, even though this, this constitutional amendment D is on the ballot for the 2020 election, a lot of this activity really started several years ago. And so I'm just going to kind of basically for the group, um, you know, summarize kind of some of the, the issues that came up in 2018 and kind of how we got to where we are in 2020. But basically, you know, as we as Steve has discussed, you know, the current constitution has certain prohibitions on it that are creating uncertainty. Um, amongst uh, these citizens who receive water outside a municipal boundary from a municipality. And so in 2018, there basically were three separate bills brought. And I'm really glad that Steve mentioned the executive water ta- or the Utah Water task Force process before we started this conversation because I believe none of these bills went through the Utah Water task Force process and kind of took everybody by surprise. But essentially, in 2018, there was HB 124, which was brought by Representative Coleman, Kim Coleman, which was entitled Water Holdings and Transparency Amendments. And her big push was this kind of question of like disenfranchisement. And so she was worried about these, you know, individuals receiving water from a municipal supplier who's not their own municipality and giving a venue for those people to vote on things like water rates or like bonding for infrastructure, et cetera. And so she kind of wanted to address this by having requiring the state engineer and municipalities to provide additional mapping to kind of figure out where their service area was. So that was kind of like one thread of the conversation in 2018. Um, Another further conversation was house joint resolution 15 which was a proposal to amend the utah constitution and that addressed a separate issue of article 11 section six, which is basically. The municipalities are unable to lease their water rights under a very uh, strict reading of the Constitution and they cannot get out can they cannot alienate any of their water works, and so this gets to the question that Steve was talking about where you know water you know technically water is supposed to be for the citizens of a municipality so if they're serving water outside their municipality those are essentially lease arrangements and there was this question of whether or not you know these lease arrangements could be pulled back and leave these non citizen service recipients you know kind of in the lurch and so hr hjr 15 was attending to kind of address that where it removed the prohibition on municipalities from leasing water And those are kind of the two main topics. In 2018, we also had a number of other issues come up. One of them was extraterritorial jurisdiction, which talks about um, the ability of municipalities to regulate lands outside their municipal municipal boundary. And that was important. And we did make some amendments on that in 2019. But for our purposes, we're just going to talk about those two main themes in 2018. It was a fun time. 2018 was a fun time. um so basically uh those those two bills that um hj uh hb124 and HJR 15 really spurred a lot of discussion in the water user community Um, both were tabled in 2018 um, and did not get voted on in the 2018 session And then essentially the the solution was to create working groups to study these questions for basically like the spring, summer of 2018 and then come up with recommendations for 2019. And so Steve, this is kind of where I wanted you to talk a little bit about your work because you kind of chaired the committee that ultimately came up with house joint resolution number one in 2019 which basically was, is the meat of the constitutional amendment that's on the ballot today. So could you kind of walk us through what the group did and proposed to kind of address some of those concerns that were brought up in
0: 2018? Uh, sure, and uh, uh, as Emily says, there was the House Joint Resolution 1 that was adopted by the legislature in 2019, and then in 2020 in the general session We did a minor amendment to that again to fix the minor technical issues. So the current uh, resolution that is before the voters is house joint resolution number three that was passed unanimously by both houses of the legislature and uh, then put this on the ballot. But uh, new amendment uh, proposes a couple of different fixes. Number one, it removes the prohibition altogether on cities uh, conveying their water works away. And the reason for that is one of economies of scale that there is some utility in joining forces in major water treatment facilities and big distribution facilities that are a little less tied to individual water rights as they were in the past. And so uh, recognizing that is how modern infrastructure is working, that prohibition was proposed to be taken out of the constitutional provision altogether and allow cities the flexibility to manage their resources and work in tandem with others in larger districts to take advantage of these economies of scale. Mm -hmm. The other issue is dealing with, uh, one was the um, service outside the corporate boundaries and then one contracts sur- surplus sales to areas that are not physically served by a municipality. And we will go into those quickly here. Um, the, the first one was dealing with the Salt Lake City scenario where the city had built physical infrastructure to areas like Cottonwood Heights or Holiday or somewhere else where there was a population in need of water service and the city filled that void and build hard infrastructure to do that with. Steve, can
1: I stop you just one second there too? Because not only did they build it, but they bonded for it. And that is another component of this is who pays for the infrastructure and making sure that payment is equitable between
0: users of the system. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. because of the fact that there's been debt incurred and the revenues necessary to pay the bonded debt, the chances of these contracts ever being terminated were slim to none, but notwithstanding that, Constitutional prohibition creates that uncertainty in the uh, potential, at least for these uh, contracts to be terminated, which led to the problem. Um, the way we approached that in the constitutional amendment drafting group was to give cities authority by ordinance to designate a service area that could include both the areas within its own municipal boundaries and those areas outside its municipal boundaries where it had hard physical infrastructure in place and was providing retail water service. And then within that designated service area, the service is rendered on basically equal protection grounds so that those inside the city and outside the city are treated equally to the extent their circumstances are similar. Rates are to be set again by ordinance, which is a legislative act by the city that is uh publicly noticed and people have opportunity to appear and be heard and state their concerns and their their objections to the, the rates and then the goal there again was to create some equity and certainty that people outside the boundaries are not going to be treated differentially from those within the city it does allow for cost of service differentials if it costs more because water has to be boosted to certain elevations in an area That the cost can be adjusted to address those operational issues as opposed to just a general base rate structure for the commodity of water.
1: Yeah, and those are, and and those specifics are actually addressed not in the constitutional amendment, but in HB 31, which we'll talk about in a minute. But the constitutional amendment allows for the designated service area.
0: Correct. Yeah. And what the statute does is then implement the policy Mm -hmm. of the constitution. And the constitutional amendment says that the city can designate a service area and set rates by ordinance. And then the statute uh, 31, HB 31, then addresses how that policy would be implemented. And Emily's gonna take you through those. The other thing the amendment did is address the scenarios such as providing water to say the Cottonwood King and ski resorts, Salt Lake City sells water to them on contract basis. But Salt Lake does not have hard infrastructure providing water service up the Canyons. So instead what it does is it has entered into surplus sales agreements over the years that enable the town of Alta and others to use Salt Lake City's water rights to supply the needs of their communities and the industries that are there. That has worked pretty well, but again, those surplus supply contracts because of the original constitutional prohibition of Article 11, Section 6, are subject to termination at any time that water is no longer surplus. Now, The drafting committee working with the leads of cities and towns and others were not able to get rid of that constitutional prohibition on those kinds of surplus sales. They are still subject to termination what we did do was provide that those are subject to negotiated contracts that parties can uh, dictate the terms and conditions under which those contracts might be terminated in the future. But those sure. are a little less secure perhaps than uh, service to say the, the areas in the county uh where and now municipalities that have grown up over the top of that where salt lake city still provides the physical retail service
1: yeah i think that's a great summary steve so you know just basically kind of like in, in really in a just brief summary we are allowing people to dispose of waterworks so that gives us some flexibility in like co-management and um you know redundant sources with you know local or in, um neighboring municipalities or you know kind of joint efforts we have basically cleared up the question of like inhabitant versus citizen and by doing a expanded designated service area and then everybody within that service area needs to be treated on basically like what was the term we ended up using equal protection equal equal equal
0: protection under the law
1: yeah so we kind of wanted to make sure that those folks were treated the same even though they weren't the citizens you know it was citizens versus non-citizen but like they were still going to receive the same terms of service or water supply and then you talked about the uh, kind of the official authorization to do uh, contracts for surplus water sales so basically water that's uh, outside the need for the next 40 years and those are negotiable and terminable and so a little bit less secure but at least there's some authorization about it and you know what you're getting
0: into correct yeah there's one other component of the article 11 section 6 that is as a carryover from the original constitutional provision and that is that cities are able to exchange water rights for water rights of equal value Uh, In terms of equal value were never really expressed or defined by the Constitution. The amendment has changed that to say that yes, they can exchange water rights or water sources of equal utility or value to the city in terms of providing its municipal services, but they can only be done through public entities. These are not just uh, loosey-goosey transfers in the marketplace. Yeah. And the extent they are transferring water works, those also are limited only to public water supply entities, so that we're not dealing with public private partnerships in Utah, which has been allowed in other areas of the country, but instead it's forcing governmental entities to continue to work with each other.
1: Yeah, and that's a good one to include there. I forgot about that exchange because there is a big difference between equal value and equal utility because, you know, what it just allows the municipalities to have a lot more flexibility in how they solve a problem. You know, like maybe we just need to exchange this treatment plan you give us X, Y, and Z or, you know. So that's great. Um, And so that was awesome, Steve. I think that's a really good summary of kind of what the constitutional amendment is. Um, I'll just kind of really quickly for for the listeners talk about what HB 31 did, which is pretty much what it did is it, it really just kind of built out what that designated service area concept looks like. And you know as Steve stated, you know this designated service area needs to be set by ordinance. So you know there's an opportunity for public comment and a public hearing. And so you know you can decide whether or not if you want to participate in that process, you can. Um, And basically, this is, uh, we did have a lot of questions about who would have to be subject to this, which I think is a a kind of a constant theme in water that came up a lot in the secondary metering conversations about like, who does this need to apply to? Because there are a lot of municipalities of varying sizes across the state and, you know, with varying sizes, you have varying resources. And so we decided that this, with municipalities that had more than 500 retail customers, we we had some additional requirements, um, and that means that they had to like place their uh web their designated service map area on a website, um you know, and they had to provide some more information about kind of how water was to be charged in the designated service area. And then the other thing that, that HB 30 or that um, House Bill 31 did is they basically just kind of created a little bit more equal protection for the retail customers. We created this um, an advisory board, you know, if, if for certain cities of a certain size, they could basically have an advisory board of uh, representatives from the uh, non-municipal um, area to kind of participate in the municipalities um, public public hearing process. Um, but I really just gonna put some meat on the bones and I don't know if we've had any, um, this, so this was passed in 2019. uh, HB 31 was, it doesn't come effective until the amendment is passed in 2020. So this is not yet enacted, but it's passed. And so I don't think we've had anyone actually do a designated service area yet um, under the law, but hopefully with the passage of the constitutional amendment, we will get there quickly.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an important point. The, The constitutional process to amend it is set by constitution. It takes the approval of two-thirds majority in both houses, then has to be approved by the majority of the voters at the next uh, general election. That put us into this 220 uh, election cycle. And assuming the amendment passes through the election cycle here in November, then these two bills will become effective and... Uh, implement again the policy that the constitutional amendment proposed so it's been an interesting process and uh, should fall sequentially in place nicely so
1: yeah and we want you to vote yes if you haven't gotten that yet (laughs) (laughs) so when your friends ask you about constitutional amendment d because you're a lawyer or have an interest in water the answer is yes Well, Steve, I, thought that, I think that's a great summary and I hope that the you know listeners find it helpful um, in informing them and I hope that they can spread this around to their friends and family who also have similar questions. Do you have anything that you want to add about about this amendment or about this process um, that we didn't get a chance to talk about.
0: No, but I really would encourage you to vote for it it's uh, these have been well thought out and vetted by many, many people and there are things we do need to see done. So hopefully people will uh, pull together and get it done and help uh, provide the necessary security we need to see this move forward.
1: Yeah, great. A rare moment of uh, bipartisan and communal positivity, if we can get yeah, this Yeah, on
0: this day and age, it doesn't come often. <laughs> right.
1: Great. Okay, Steve, well, thank you so much for your time, and I'm sure I'll have you back on to discuss many of the meaty, thorny water issues we have here in the state and beyond. (laughs)
0: Love to do it, and thanks for the invitation. Nothing said in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else.
1: This podcast was produced by Mackenzie Nichols. Find Ripple Effect on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.